20, Matthew chapter 20. We'll be looking today at verses 29 through 34 in Matthew chapter 20. Now, one of the things that I love about the stories, especially of Jesus, and then just, you know, just think about it for a moment. Um, the stories of Jesus are so vivid, aren't they? Um, they're alive, they're teeming with life. Um, as you see Jesus here, you know, think about it. He's on this earth. Um, the Word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus walking on the earth. And if you were to travel, I'm not a, you know, one of these superstitious people where I think I've got to go some, to some pilgrimage you know, to Israel or anything like that. But it's kind of cool to think that when you do go there, that Jesus actually walked on that ground. But He walked on this earth. He became a, a man that He could be here. And so when you see the stories of Jesus... Um, you know, as you read them in the Bible, you, you can almost uh, hear the noise around him. You could hear him teaching. Uh, you see his interaction with people. Uh, as he's walking through the streets, you can smell and, and taste the dust that he stirs up. This story today is a story that does that for us. It is very vivid. It is very incredible. It's filled with desperation and hope. So let's turn our attention to Matthew 20, 29 through 34, as we now hear from the Word of God. Would you read with me? And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. Immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that the vividness of the story would stir our hearts. Stir our hearts to show our own need and the hope that we have in Christ. I pray, Lord, that it would become very, very real to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have been walking through or, and working through some of the many, many questions that Jesus asked, one of the things that we see revealed to us through them is the kind of Messiah that Jesus is, the kind of King that He is, the kind of Savior that Jesus is. And so today, as we consider the question, what do you want me to do for you? We will see that the Lord Jesus the greatest in the kingdom stops. He stops to serve the least, the least of these in their need for mercy. And so we're going to look at, first of all, the desperate need of mankind. What is the desperate need of mankind? Secondly, we're going to see the one, the only one, who can provide what we need. And thirdly, what is it that we truly need? What is it that we truly need? 
So let's look, first of all, at the desperate need of mankind. The text tells us that they, meaning Jesus and the disciples and and the great crowd that was with them, of all those people, they went out of Jericho heading toward Jerusalem. So this large crowd indicates that uh, there's more here than multitudes going to to the, uh, the Passover feast in Jerusalem, you know, from all over the place, including Galilee. There's more going on than that here as they steadily go up that climb. And again, you have to think in your mind, it's a steady climb up 3,300 feet from Jericho. And there's also in the midst of this crowd, of this noise, of this dust that they're stirring up, there's also this desire of, of reflection, of messianic excitement. And so as they make their way outside the city, there are two men sitting on the side of the road by the wayside. And they're sitting there, and you think about it, they're in the dust, and, and, and they were both blind, we read here. Blind meaning that they're, they're wretched, they're destitute, they're dirty, the lowest of the low in that particular society. They're despised and they're, and they're marginalized. And it's, all, and it's really truly obvious that as they stand here or sit here on the side of the road, that they're begging. I mean, there's all these people coming from all over the place. And this is kind of the highlight of the year. We could sit here on the road and we can get some, some money. We can get some things to take care of our needs. Let's, let's do that. So that's where they are. You may remember the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. Even the religious leaders would have little to do with beggars. Even though throughout the Old Testament, the law gave gave provision for them, these religious leaders feared that they might be made unclean if they associated with beggars. So you can see that isolation that they have. And although these men can't see Jesus, they hear the people. They hear the bustle of the crowd. And upon inquiry, they learned, it's Jesus who's passing by. It's Jesus. Greg Allen tells a story of working in southeast Portland, not far from a thrift store. And from time to time, he would go into the store during his lunch hour and and one day, this old man came shuffling in. He was a blind man, and he had crutches with him, and he was carefully feeling his way along into the store. And uh, Greg Allen actually recognized this man as a blind man who lived in the community. He had seen him several times before. Well, this blind man had a really unique way of getting people to uh, help him and to, to you know, supply some of the things that he would need. And so he would make his way through the door. He would go into the middle of the store. He would stand there in the aisle and he would shout, Help! Help! Someone come! Help me right now! Help me! Please help me! And he said people from all over the store would be running in that direction toward him. And then he would just calmly say, I'd like some baby powder. Can you tell me where that is? Just like that. Well... Alan notes that this should make us think of a good old-fashioned word. And to be honest with you, when I read this word, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever heard this word used before. I may have, but I'm not sure. It's a, rare, it's a word that we rarely hear anymore, and it's called importunity. To be importune means 
to press for what you want or to beg for what you need in a repetitive and urgent way. It means to go to such lengths and in insisting on what you want that you no longer care whether it is appropriate or not. Or whether or not you're going to be an annoyance to anyone around you. So that's what's going on here with these two blind men in our passage. They were importuned for something. They had heard that Jesus, the miracle-working son of David, was traveling along the road a short distance away, and they didn't want him to pass by them. They wanted something from him. They were desperate to get what they wanted, and so they cried out, Lord, have mercy upon us, son of David. So they pleaded in this importune manner. They wanted so much something from him that they were willing to become an absolute nuisance to everyone else around them until they got it. Look at verse 31. They must have really been a bad nuisance because the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. They were saying, shut up, guys, come on. But what did they do? cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So let's say that in today's world that Jesus was walking the earth today. Like in this modern time. Let's say he was walking and he had been visiting up in the Salina Prosper area. And we had heard that he was going to be walking down south toward Dallas. And he was going to be walking on Preston Road. And we all could run out there on the side of the road as he walked down south to Dallas. And we could see him. And we could cry out to him. We could take that importunity, if you will, to cry out to him for our deepest needs. I want you to think about what you would ask him for. What would you cry out to Jesus? The end of abortion. Please, Lord, Son of David, please end this senseless murder of children. Of ethnic enmity. Lord, please um, help us to love one another like You've commanded us to in Scripture and not look down on another uh, ethnic person in any way, shape, or form. Or about human trafficking. The end of pestilence. The end of poverty. I find it striking though that when you read the Scriptures, you'll see this. It's just an honest observation of Scripture. When you read it, every time we see something like this, every time we see someone crying out to the Lord for something, it's very personal. It's not about that out there. It's about something going on with me. With someone that I love. I think that's probably more what we would be seeking from the Lord. Would you cry out for something more personal? Like physical healing for yourself? Physical healing for a loved one that you care dearly about? Someone special? Maybe hope for a hopeless son or daughter. Maybe the end of a a long struggle with some sort of wrestling with a particular sin. 
Maybe today you would cry out for relief from loneliness or isolation. For reprieve from the the mental anguish of life in a fallen world from the brokenness that is all around us. Every time I think about this, I think about a story that Max Lucado wrote. And he he took the passage of the Roman soldier whose daughter was dying or yeah, and, um, and, and he uh, uh, turned it into a modern day parable. And then and, and he really kind of made it even deeper to show the pain and the suffering that this person was going through at the thought of losing their daughter. What would you ask for? Furthermore, why would you ask that? Why would you cry out to Jesus in such an importune way? Let's look through the blind eyes of these men to see what they saw in Jesus as we come to our second point and consider the only one who can provide what we need. Let's look first of all at what they saw and then we'll look at what we see actually because we're allowed to see the bigger picture of how the Scriptures unfold. First of all, in verses 30 and 31, we read that the blind man again called out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy upon us. They're crying out for pity, thinking again about their deplorable situation. Religiously, they're viewed as the curse of God. They're shunned. Economically, they're deprived, depending on handouts for mere meager sustenance. Um, Therefore, socially, they were considered outcast. Therefore, they cry out to the only one who could truly provide for them. The only one who could truly do something. The Lord. The Son of David. When these men referred to Jesus as the son of David, they meant that he was the long-awaited deliverer. The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. If you were to flip back over into 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, you would read that, that, that um, God said this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, he's telling David this, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so there God is making a promise to David, his beloved David. He is making a promise to him that your kingdom will stand forever. That's not the end of the story, is it? The prophets of ancient Israel looked for a day when this promise would be fulfilled in an ultimate descendant of David, the Messiah, who would rule over the nations. In Isaiah 11.1, just for example, he tells us that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse, we learn elsewhere, was the father of David. So here we see it. A shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah 23, 5-6. through 
He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in security. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is righteous. Why are these prophets so important in the reading of Scripture? Do you remember the history? After David's son Solomon becomes king, he turns away from the Lord. So the Lord says, I'm going to divide the kingdom up. So between his sons, Solomon's sons, the kingdom was divided. And there became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And when you read about those kingdoms, the northern kingdom... Time after time after time after time had wicked kings. Wicked kings who led the people away to worship idols. What if I came in here next Sunday and I have an idol sitting here instead of the Lord's Supper and I said, you are to bow down and worship this. This is the true God. Now there are other gods, of course, the God of the Bible, and we can bow down before Him too, but we're going to bow down and worship to this God, the God of Patrick what we'll call it. It would be awful, wouldn't it? And there's all sorts of other wicked and nasty and awful and testable things that they did over and over again. The southern kingdoms just had a few good kings in them. And so when these prophets read these things, what they're doing is they're laying out hope. Because not long after that, God had promised, if you do these things, I will punish you. So first of all, he took care of the northern kingdom. Assyria come in and destroyed it. Took the people off into captivity. And then the southern kingdom was as well. Taken off into Babylon. Where you read about Daniel and others. Away from the place that God had promised them. Away from the land. And it looked like there's no hope. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we think things are bad now, but what if there were armies coming and taking half of our family away to take us to another country, to take us away and totally destroying everything around us? That's what was going on there. And so there's a promise here. There's going to be a king that's going to come. So after years and years and years of silence, some 400 years of silence between the prophet. Malachi and Matthew, we read these words that there is one coming. The genealogy is laid out. There is one coming who is a direct descent of Abraham and David through Joseph, Jesus' legal father. The promise of the Messiah. And so these two beggar men that are standing on the side of the road, they had un undoubtedly heard of Jesus, the, 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 His reputation. And they saw um, uh, the, the wise miracles that He did. And when I say saw, they knew of them. They knew of the, the incredible wise miracles that He did. They knew about His compassion. They knew about His mercy. They knew about His love. And through these titles of honor, they were declaring their faith in Him. Calling Him Lord expressed their sense of His deity and dominion and power. You remember when Jesus stopped the storm, Peter drops down and says, My Lord and my God. They know that that's this Jesus. He has that power. 
And when they call Him Son of David, they express their faith that He was the Messiah. That He was the shoot of David. That He was the one promised to David. By faith, these men were seeking mercy in the healing touch of the Master, the Messiah, the very Son of God. That's what they were looking at. That's who they were looking toward. Now what about us? What do we see that they didn't see? If you really think about it, there's some cool things going on here in this passage. Remember where Jesus is going. He's going to Jerusalem. This will be His final Passover on earth. So you think about the story of Passover week and what's happening here. He's already raised Lazarus from the dead. (laughs) He's headed to Jerusalem. His, His face is set. He is going to die. And Jesus, the Messiah King, was on the verge of entering the city of the great King. Triumphantly, He would enter with others crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! To the Son of David. He was about to ascend to the sanctuary of Yahweh, which only the blameless may do. He was about to purify His own house, the temple, by turning over the tables and reminding them what that house was built for. He was preparing to perform the central messianic act of salvation. Many in the crowd and the disciples who were with Him would know beyond a shadow of a doubt who was entering into Jerusalem and the source and the extent of His authority as He would just days later lay down His life as a ransom for many and be raised from the dead. So this is what we get to see that they didn't see. How could it be that they would not cry out? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. How could they not utter those words knowing who it was that was walking past them? But I ask you, how can we not cry out with the same Importune voice. With even more vigor and and more desire. Understanding what we know. Is it possible that these blind men actually see more than we do? Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. What do you make of this Jesus? Of who He is. Of what He's done. Is He not the Messiah? Is He not good? Does He not hear the cries of desperation and compassion and mercy and love? Does He not hear our cries of desperation and with the power of God reach out to heal? Able to move. Able to make change. Able to make miracles happen in our lives and in this world because He is indeed Yahweh. Second person of the triune God. Look at verse 32 with me. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator God, as he hears these voices, what does he do? He stops. He stops. 
And all the excitement with the people kind of ushering, in, ushering him on to Jerusalem and that messianic fever was this idea that he's going to establish the new kingdom. He's going to set us free. And believe me, that's what they thought their true need was. To be released from the, 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 the struggle from being under Rome. That's what they thought their true need was. But Jesus has other plans. And even here, as those people are in fever, pushing Him along, telling those people to shut up, shut up, God, shut up. He, he stops. He stops before the lowest of the low. Those of no importance. Those with no standing. No power. No privilege. No hope. He stops. Do you think He might do that for you? I mean, you're a professing child of God. I want you to think about that. A professing child of God. Do you think He might stop for you? If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, do you think He may stop for you if you see Him for who He truly is? You say, but Jesus, I need your help. I'm in desperation. Do you think... He may stop for you. He stops and he asks this question. What do you want me to do for you again? If you were to cry out to him. If he were walking down Preston Road. If you were to cry out to him. Your deepest need. What would it be? What would it be? Let's in our final point. Look at what is that that we truly need? What is it that we truly need? What do, you want me for, what do you want me to do for you? As we've looked at this question, isn't it fascinating that Jesus would really even have asked that question? Why? Do you think he didn't know what they really wanted? Uh, wasn't it obvious? Well, yes. And it reminds us once again, as we have noted before, that it is our Savior's will and way that we ask. That we say specifically what it is that we want from Him. And so the question is, are we bold enough? And are we daring enough to be specific about what it is we want to ask of Him? And so they are. And so when Jesus asked the question, they, asked, they answered in a way that is, that is exactly what they desired in their hearts, which is, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Now, I want to tell you something here, and it's something that we have to understand about this. It's something we have to grasp with. And especially for you younger people, and, you know, and, and sometimes that could be younger people in the faith is really what I'm, I'm kind of focusing on here, is that when you grow old, older, I should say, in the faith, and you grow in, in more experience, you come to know that it that the Lord does not intend to grant all persons deliverance from bodily diseases. It doesn't work like that. Let me give you an example. Joni Erickson Tata. Paralyzed as a young girl. One of the most faithful people I have ever known in my life. The things that that woman has gone through in her life are, are I don't know that I could do it. I just look at her and I marvel. I marvel at her faith. I marvel at her focus on Jesus. I marvel at her hope. 
And if anyone on this planet could cry out and say, Lord, heal me, I think it might be her. But he is not. The Lord will also not grant every request we ask. You see, actually we studied this last summer in in, uh, the Lord's Prayer. the, The prayer that Jesus taught His disciples to pray. Um... It says in that, that prayer that we are to ask specific requests, but they must be according to the will of the Father. And so even though, and we have to look at it this way, even though we may ask and He may say no, or and in all situations, listen to me, in every situation you pray for, it may be no, not right now, but you better believe it will be yes I will, I will heal your body because one day you're going to die and you're going to resurrect from the ground and you're going to have a new body and it's all going to be perfect. And so that answer's coming. But He always has His purposes. And His purposes are always, the Scriptures tells us, for good. It's always for good. It might be hard. That we don't get a certain request answered. But it's always for good. And the issue here is is that we always need to look at the Messiah as good. As a matter of fact, that's what that teaches. Listen to me. Jesus did not heal every person that was lame and sick and hurt as He walked through this earth. But the ones He did heal... The ones He did reach out to and touch and compassion and mercy, just like He does these men here, was to show who He was and what's coming, the hope that's coming. And so even as we pray, we can trust that that is true. And so obviously here, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was moving in a special way in these men. They were given insight into Jesus that many in the crowd did not have, or that crowd wouldn't have been saying, shut up, guys. So Jesus puts the question to them, not only for their sake as individuals, but also for the sake of all people. Christ, by asking this question, awakens the crowd to observe the miracle And deeply moved by His Spirit, um, their request to Him results in His compassion being moved for them. In love, we see Him reach out forth His hand. And, and, And He actually touches their eyes. And what's interesting about this is this is something that no one would have ever expected the Messiah to do to poor, miserable beggars that were blind. But Jesus did. And so what does the text say? Immediately they're healed. Immediately they're healed. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is when you ask, and maybe you don't receive the request that you want at that time, immediately you may receive that. At some point, even if it's when you face him face to face. They recovered their sight. And the text says that they followed him. They can now see. And they, and I should say, and we can be sure that this is not only physically 
that their eyes are healed. But by the fact that they join the crowd and they follow Jesus toward Jerusalem, it tells us that the insight that they had been given, that Jesus was Lord, that He was the Son of David, extended into an even greater spiritual insight. It pointed to their greater need. They needed salvation. You see, only in salvation... Only in salvation. You have to understand, until the Alpha and Omega comes, there's not going to be any shalom. There won't be peace in this world. I'm not saying you won't have periods of peace. I'm not saying you won't have some of those days where you're walking on sunshine and the clouds are gone away and you're close to the Lord and all those things. But what I'm telling you is, is that there will be no true and lasting peace. Whatever need you may scream out to the Lord, He may heal you. And He can. I've seen brothers that have struggled with incredible, awful sin. Just boom! Walk away from it. Never to be bothered by those sins again. But for some, it may not be that the struggle's over until you see Him face to face. Those healing needs that you need in your body may not be dealt with until you see Him face to face. So what this passage points us to is that the real need that the whole of the world really, truly needs is mercy and spiritual insight of faith and reconciliation with the Creator God. And so, let me give you just a few little things to, to really consider that's been all over this passage to take home with you and to live out. Listen, never be ashamed to admit how desperately you need Jesus. Some people will say Jesus is a crutch. I say he's two crutches. I say actually he's carrying me on a board. You know? He's carrying me. Don't ever be ashamed to admit how desperately you need Jesus. An old friend called me this week. An old friend that's been in ministry a long time. And, it, and it's been a hard ministry sometimes for he and his family. And, um, and it's, it's been fruitful, but it is hard. I mean, sometimes I've looked at his life and I'm like, I would not want to do what he's called to do. It's difficult. It's hard. I don't know how he does it. And, and he, he was talking to me and he shared some very tragic news in his life. Some that, I mean, I'm very very rarely almost moved to tears with something like this because I'm not surprised, honestly, by sin. But when he told me this, I almost wept. And, and these words came out of my mouth. I responded, I said, brother, the older I get, you have to understand, the older I get, I think sometimes it's a wonder that we ever get out of this world alive, not totally destroyed by our own sin and, and, and or the sins of others around us. It's amazing to me. I mean, all you have to do is spend two minutes on Facebook and you can see it. It's filled with sin and hatred and ugliness and division and awfulness. 
People don't want the truth. They can't handle the truth. I don't know. Something. Never ever be ashamed to admit how desperate you are to need Jesus. Because really, He's the only hope we have. It's not going to be who's elected next president. It's not going to be who your next boss is going to be. It's not going to be, uh, you know, if you get that, the answer to that prayer that you've always been seeking. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's ever going to make anything right. Secondly, with this, know that Jesus is abundantly abundantly merciful to every one of us. Poor, miserable, blind, crippled souls that cry out to Him. The Lord of all stops in His tracks for us. He hears our cry for mercy. He asks us what it is that we want from Him. Especially when it comes to the saving of our souls from the crippling effects of our own sin and the sin in this world. That same God who put that cool comet in the, in the sky, that's got that tail of dust behind it that you can see with binoculars. I don't know, it might be gone now. But the other night I looked at it and I'm like, wow, how awesome are you, God? That same God passionately reaches out and touches us. Takes care of our needs. In verse 28, before we even come to this text that we read today, we see that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Our God is good. He is safe. And in Him we have refuge and healing. May the Lord, the Son of David, have mercy on us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank You so much for Your mercy and grace, Lord. We ask You to hear our prayers, to to. Be attentive to our needs. Uh, to give us, Lord, all that we need. And, and let us never ever lose hope. Even though we grow older in the faith and we see the ravages of sin, not only in the world, but in our own hearts, Lord, I pray that You would give us the hope of Christ. May our eyes be stayed on Him always and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.